Welcome to the Spanish Arpada. I'm Sarah. And I am Peter. And we are ranking and reviewing all of the rulers of Spain from Leovigild to Felipe VI. And today we are going to cover Ervig. 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 Okay. Ervig. Um, okay. Er- oh, Ervig. Okay. Ervig. All right. All right. Okay. The and Spanish is Ervigio. Um, oh, I like that better. Yeah, um, it's a little better, but how would you spell it? Down in my notes, I, I have it down uh, basically as if I wrote the word earwig and dropped the A. So E-R-W-I-G. Well, it's a V uh, instead of a W, but otherwise you I are correct. Say, oh, God. Very unfortunate. I, okay. I haven't seen it with the accent mark over the first letter, but that's how mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing it. I'm pronouncing it Ervig. I don't know. Right. Ervig sounds we, very strange put, to me. Um, we know we know what his nickname in elementary school was. We certainly um, do. Yes. We know why he has a drinking problem at yes. age 12. <laughs> uh, yeah. His parents did him no favors. No, they did so. not. Let's get started talking about sources first, because okay. I want to take this opportunity to really talk about the Chronicle of Alfonso III. Okay. I have mentioned this Chronicle now in two episodes, Wamba's and then a previous one, which was uh, Ressuswinth. But I didn't really go into it in the sources section. So we have some time now and I will do that. Right. Alfonso is the one that, sorry, Alfonso is the one that told the story of the attack of the Saracen ships. Correct. correct? So this chronicle was written in Asturias, which is in the north of Spain, after the Muslim conquest in about the year 866. All the manuscripts that we have that survive are from the year 910. Okay. So it's thought that it All was right. originally so, from 866, but uh, 910 is so the earliest manuscript we have. We're, we're at least 150 years past the point of the events described, and we're and the first edition is what 50 years after the actual composition. Correct. So, yes. A lot of room for a lot of room say, for error. Creative editing. Okay. Well, yeah. and mm-hmm. in addition, the author of this chronicle is very invested in making the new Asturian kingdom seem like a new chapter in Gothic history, right? Oh my! They, they okay. want this to be like a continuation of the real leaders of Spain, which were the Visigoths okay. and now sure. are the Asturians. Sure. So this leads oh. to some bending of the truth, like we have seen yeah. in Quint and Wamba's right. family trees. Yeah, uh, hence the reference to the Saracen attack, because. It allows the author to say, you know, when they first came here, we beat the Muslims. Exactly. So, okay, gotcha. And, and gotcha. we are going to see this kind of bending of the truth later with later Asturian kings, because the author, mm-hmm. author covers the kings that fit his narrative much more fully than those that don't. Oh, of course he does. <laughs> right. If, if it's a king that doesn't really fit the narrative he's going for, it's like two lines tossed aside. Right, right. And if it's say, one that he really likes, then it's a touch. Sure. In, mm-hmm. in much the same way that Americans tend to dwell on the presidents who were wartime leaders and ignore the, well, basically the Warren G. Hardings of it all. Right. The author of the Chronicle also kind of frames his Chronicle as the Muslim invasion happened for religious reasons, as a punishment oh. for the sins of the gods. Ah, okay, sure, sure. Yes. Sort of like the Babylonian captivity, that kind yes. of thing. Yes. All right. And one of those sins, notably, was the possible poisoning of Wamba by Ervik. 
So right, right. I have that down here. Eric poisoned him? Question mark. Bishop? Question, question, mark, question mark, mark. And so forth. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So basically, the information that this chronicler has about the final Gothic kings is extremely hearsay. We are nowhere near. Sure. Sure. So that's right. important to keep in mind. All right. All right. The biography of Ervig. I'm going to have a hard time taking the name seriously. This is going to be tough. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad towards the end of the Visigoth oh, no. kings. The, all the right. Next, yeah, all right. The next ones are not any better. So according to historical accounts that really, really, really want the Visigothic royal line to be interconnected and continuous. <laughs> all right. Ervig sure. is apparently the grandson of Hermenegild. Remember him? Oh, God, really? I mean, uh, no one else in Spain remembers him. No, but... no, we're not supposed Nobody said his name out loud. That that's, that never happened. Exactly. It... But do you remember when he was murdered by Sispert and then his wife in Gundis fled to the Byzantine Empire? And she right. was pregnant. I do. Time. Right. And we don't we don't know what happened because, of course, we never talk about Bruno. Well, she died along the way. But according to this yes. story, she did give birth first and the child survived. Uh-huh. Okay, so so this child is named... Okay, yes, you. very much, very much. Okay. So this child is named Athanagild, and he grows up in the imperial court in Constantinople. Now, this Athanagild ends up marrying the niece of the emperor at the time, a guy named Maurice, and they okay. also give birth to a son named Artabast. Oh, my. Okay. Artabast then migrates back to Spain during Chindeswin's reign, and he marries Chindeswin's niece, a woman named Goda. So these two, okay. Artabast and Goda, are Ervig's parents. At okay. least according to the Chronicle of Alfonso III. Right, right. It, it really is reading sort of like a J.K. Rowling retcon. Uh, yes, where all of these characters is. are secretly, secretly, we're having sex with each other, apparently, before the events of the novels. All right. Gotcha. Yes, and there's zero other historical evidence that this is in any way true. Right, right. Okay. Now, Artabast is indeed an Eastern name. It's probably of mm. Armenian origin. So Ooh. it's probable that Ervig's father is originally from the Byzantine Empire. Right. But there's, yeah, there's just no way to tell whether he or his wife were directly related to either the ruling family of the Roman Empire or of Spain. Mm. At about the same time as Ervig's birth, and this would be in about the 640s, -hmm. another boy is born in Toledo. Oh, God. Now, this boy has none of the family background that Ervig has. His parents aren't descendants of Visigothic kings or related to Byzantine emperors or Armenian Christians. None of that. Didn't pull a sword from the stone at the age of three, etc. No. Okay. In All fact, right. this boy's parents are conversos, meaning converted oh Jews. Yes, yes, yes. Now, being a converso, this was not a designation that was supposed to follow you around for life. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. Once sure, you had converted, sure yeah, once right. you were converted, you were a Christian and that was it. But ha, it ha, 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 Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. As a matter of, of fact, we will see people called conversos and their great, great grandparents were the ones that converted. <laughs> right. It's uh, that kind yeah. of thing. So this boy is, he doesn't fit in. No. Right. Okay. This boy also doesn't fit in in another way. I'm going to quote a biographer oh, of this person who will later write okay. him. Quote, he, mm. the boy I'm speaking of 
was associated so strongly in his daily life with one of his companions, Gudelia. And he, and he felt so united to him by a particular affection that their inseparable friendship made plain oh, that boy. the two of them were actually one. And the union that existed yeah. between them showed that they didn't have two souls, but that they shared one. Oh, my. All right. Well, I'm sure this was not going to be a problem at all. Uh, so what do you do? What well, do you what do you do when you're a boy like that in Spain? I was going to say, well, with any luck, you and your parents and his parents send you to the same boarding school at Eton. Well, but that's not. No, I'm taking no. If you're Julian of Toledo, which this yes. boy is. OK, you enter the cathedral school at Seville, which was founded uh, by Isidore, by the way. OK, yes, yes. And you study under Eugenius II, who's the one who wrote the uh-huh. epitaph of Chindeswin. Right, that awesome epitaph. Okay, yes. And then you and your bud Gudelia take monastic orders and devote yourselves to prayer and go hide in a monastery together. Oh my God, it did happen basically the way I thought it, it would. It did exactly. Oh, it did. Oh, good. Well, you know, they basically got a little apartment in the village. That is awesome. I hope. Um, well, but that's nice. Also, if you're Julian of Toledo, this yes. doesn't last because Julia doesn't oh. actually want to be stuck in a monastery hiding from the world. Well, no. Plus, I mean, you know, I'm sure his companion was constantly saying, you know, we're supposed to be celibate, right? Oh, dear. No, he wants he wants what Ervig has. He wants to have oh, a royal lineage. He, he wants to be in charge. Mm. He wants to, mm-hmm. to wield power in a way. Oh, big that- dreams. A, a gay converso it simply cannot. Right. Insane. And people in hell want ice water. This is going to be a hard sell. So Julian starts making plans to rise in the okay. church as much as he can. Mm-hmm. He begins oh, to okay. leave the monastery and start working in the public eye. Because this is one of those monasteries mm-hmm. where they just stay shut up and pray all the time. Right. They okay, don't do public right, works sure. or anything like that. Oh, no, 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 no. You, right. want, you want more of the name of the rose kind of monasteries where it's basically the hub of the community. Right. So he rises from deacon to priest to bishop. Mm, okay. Then Gudelia dies. Oh, yeah. I did it all for you. And this is how you repay me. Oh, mm-hmm. that's so sad. It is very sad, but. That seems to be the final push because he leaves the monastery entirely and begins to insert himself into the political affairs of the day. Yeah, I want to be very clear about this. The story up until this point has been very poignant, but it could easily also be a villain's origin story. You don't throw in a monkey paw twist of at the moment of triumph, the person you did this all for died and have the story go forward to noble deeds. Well, the point of the monastery was Mm. to hide. Right. 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 The point was to not have to try to survive in a society where you are a converted Jew. I was going to say where you are a converted Jew and a closeted gay and all sorts of things that the normal person on the street is probably culturally expected to throw stones at. Right. Um, So when he leaves the monastery... He still hides. Oh, does he? So, okay. for example, he writes the history of King Wamba at this time with all of its terrible oh. invective against Jews. 
Right. Oh, the self-loathing. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Now he's starting to sound like Stephen Miller. All right. But it seems to work because he's seen as a popular, pious, generous bishop with an in with the kings. Oh, all right. Well, that's terrifying. It is um, terrifying. And it's, it doesn't seem to be enough. Oh, no. Wampa's great oh, yeah. at all, but Julian doesn't yeah. have his ear quite like he's like. And right, right. Again, there doesn't seem to be any other way a gay bishop of Jewish heritage can rise any higher than he already has. Oh, Certainly he can't unless... become king. Go ahead. And then Ervig enters the scene. Yes, yes. Now, and, the first time we and... really hear anything in the historical record about Ervig at all is with the proceedings uh -huh. of the 12th Council of Toledo. This council was called by Ervig and Julian almost immediately after Ervig's coronation. And it's where Ervig right. and the bishops lay out in writing exactly what right. had happened to the previous king, Wamba. First of all, first resolution of the 12th council, if you resign as king, you cannot come back. That's actually the second resolution. Of oh my council. God, it actually did happen. It oh, did. Okay. The first resolution was just laying out that Wamba just happened to fall ill. His tonsuring was based on the belief that he would die and that recovering mm. Wamba of his own free will had mm. named Ervig uh -huh. his successor. Right. I would like to point out that uh, at several points during this episode, history has anticipated my sarcasm. And I just <laughs> love it when history does that. <laughs> yeah. So basically the point of this council is to have everyone agree to the official version of events and to certify that the okay. document Wamba wrote and signed naming Ervig as the next right. king is authentic. Yes. And, and then uh, trust, in my notes, he said that he was just going out for a pack of cigarettes. Stalin should run things while he's out. He'll be back sometime soon. Promise. Yeah. The next thing in my script says the second canon says that anyone who being gravely ill has taken penitential orders, recovered right. from their illness, and then attempted to resume their secular positions should be condemned and forced to remain monks. This is a strictly theoretical. It's clearly not assertion. strictly theoretical. No, it's, it's really not. Wamba. Yeah, this is why many historians think that Wamba attempts to bend the rules and retake the throne after his tonsuring. Hell yes, he did. Okay. So this is why in the last episode that I said a lot of historians think that Julian poisoned Wamba. Right. Well, Julian certainly sounds more capable by virtue of biography. I um, mean... Ervik has been confirmed as the authentic king of Spain, and Julian right. has his puppet. That's right. He, I was yeah. going to say, the cat's paw has entered the scene. And so, around yes. this same time, Julian is named the Metropolitan of Spain. So he has the authority to name other bishops. He's the highest oh. leader, the highest religious leader in the entirety of Spain now. So is this the equivalent of, I mean... Archbishop, Cardinal, uh, yes. well, probably not Cardinal. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, Archbishop. Yep. So anyway, the quickness in which the 12th Council is called really underlines how weak a position Arabic is in. Right. It reminds right. me a lot of Chintila. When Chintila had to call everybody so quickly that it there wasn't time to do everything properly, that kind of Right. Thing. He called the 5th right. Council of Toledo to state that no one was allowed to usurp the throne. And then mm -hmm, he called the sixth mm -hmm. council 18 months later to basically say, no, right. I mean it this time. Yeah, no, seriously, seriously. Yeah, because fortunately for Julian of Toledo, Ervig doesn't have the force of will of the Swinths, Chinda Swint mm -hmm. and Ressa Swint, to just okay. take the throne and rely on his own might to keep it. 
Okay. Yeah. Then again, Spain itself is not in a healthy situation right now, which is also a source of weakness for Arabic. There's uh, okay. a famine happening right now. Oh, damn. And it was oh, quite no. serious, according to the Chronicle of 754. Okay, okay. Yeah. So Ervig is in a position where he has to keep his faction happy or else lose the throne and possibly his life. And okay. he, he manages this by sucking up to the church and the nobility as much as possible. Usually the people you do want to suck up to. Right. For example, in the year 683, he proclaims an edict that annuls all unpaid taxes on slaves that had been due back in 681. So these are people oh. that are two years in arrears already. And he says, you know what? It's wow. good. You don't have to pay me. Right. I'm doing this okay. just out of the generousness of my own heart. Please keep supporting me as king. It's always nice when a political leader seeks to demonstrate his grace and humanity by making it easier to own people. So <laughs> just going to point that out. Yeah. Also, much like Chintilo, one council of Toledo does not seem to be enough because also in 683, he calls the 13th council of Toledo. Oh, my goodness. This time, okay. Ervig wants protection for his family. So the bishops dutifully note that Ervig's wife, Leo Vigato, should be protected uh -huh. under pain of anathema. Ooh, Okay. But it does raise the question, what, why is he worried? What's what's the I'm not motivation sure. to yeah. One of hmm. the protections that was put into the 13th Council of Toledo is that mm -hmm. if Liu Vigato is widowed, she should hmm. not be forced to remarry a future king. Ooh. Which is super that strange because that has idea. never happened. Right. That was definitely her idea. Yeah. Um, all I can think of is if we're in a time of famines tend to create mobs and mobs tend to burn buildings. I'm wondering so, if she met up with Julian and was like, right. Holy crap. This guy. Right. Yeah. In return for this 13th council of Toledo canon, Arabic mm -hmm. proclaims that all surviving noblemen and clergy members who had conspired right. against the King from the time of Chintila on, including those who participated in Paul's rebellion, not 10 years ago, would be pardoned and their lands and titles restored to them, which is, I, I tried to look into whether this included Paul, but I couldn't get right. I, I couldn't, I couldn't find out, but sure. Yeah. But that, that was, uh, um, that was what the nobility wanted in exchange for protecting okay. his family. Right. Well, okay. I don't suppose because it's the right thing to do is ever going to be a motivation. Nope. Okay. Now, Ervig is actually quite interested in laws and the law code, and he gives Resiswin's Liber Judicorum a good once over, making tons oh, he of. Yeah, he does. He makes tons okay. of minor edits to clarify the meanings of each law. Well, you know, we remember back when Resiswint was doing it, his editor damn near defenestrated himself. Oh, Braulio um, is so, so upset about that. So let's let's remember that maybe maybe Irvig is addressing a problem that is an actual problem here. Right. And he wasn't meaning to do like a complete overhaul of the law. Resiswint's code was still right. in force. It was basically okay. just a tidying up of the language. However, okay. like everything Ervik did, because he's just a puppet, there was a price. Uh, of course. Julian of Toledo yes. was able to insert a good 30 new anti-Jewish laws into the law code. Oh, God, he is Stephen Miller. Oh, yeah, he is. this monster. Oh, I'm tired. Okay. <laughs> 
Now, oh, it's, okay. it's not clear if Ervig had any sons. They're not mentioned in the 13th Council of Toledo when his family mm. is discussed. Mm. Mm. Okay. But we do know that he did have a daughter named Sigilo or Sigilio. No, it is no, spelled C-I-X-I-L-O. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Okay. okay. Uh, I think it's made, they would probably pronounce it Sigilio, right? With the yes. T-H. He uses her to further secure his and his family's position. He arranges a marriage between her and a noble say. outside of his faction named Ejica. Uh-huh. Again, this is only according to the Chronicle of Alfonso III, but Ejica is the nephew of Wamba. Of course he is, according to Alfonso. Yeah, Alfonso but Everybody's also, related to everybody. Right. But this also explains... This is the Star Wars universe. Go ahead. This also explains why Ejica wouldn't be on Ervig's side here. Right. right if he's right. related to Wamba, he's not going to be big. On right. Ervig. He's not going to be a fan of the guy that, you know, weaseled his way. Yeah. Re- weaseled him off the throne. Uh-huh. Right. So Ervig uses this marriage arrangement to strike a deal with Ejica. Ervig will name Ejica as his successor based on his marriage okay. to Sigilio, as long as sure. Ejica vows to protect her and her mother after Ervig's death. Seems like a, so we're going to bring it back into the family. That makes that makes sense. I, yep. I wouldn't trust any of the, these people to keep their words. Well, um, Ejica but... agrees. Okay. And then in the year 687, Ervig dies of natural causes. That always catches me off guard. By the way, I do have to just remind everybody involved, haven't we agreed that kings have to be elected? And if so, <laughs> yeah, okay, never mind. Yeah, I Sorry. know. Everybody, I know. Everybody in the room is, is looking at me funny, like I've just said something very stupid. I mean, they uh, only they, did it two kings ago. Right. <laughs> and, and it worked pretty well that one time. I mean, maybe. It worked really well with Wombos. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Except for the whole uh, poisoning thing. Right, right. Well, that's, you know, anyway. Julian right. of Toledo, by the way, only lives three more years. He dies in the year 690, also of natural causes. Well, I hope those natural causes were parasitic in <laughs> nature. That's just a terrible, terrible story. From a narrative perspective, he, that's is, how I'm framing he is pure this. gold. Yep. He is absolutely, yeah. Well, and let's basically, if we want to really be realistic, who really was king during Julian this entire was king. time? Exactly. Julian was king. Ervig was Ervig, nothing. Ervig was a puppet. Ervig was a prop for a crown. That's yes. all he was. He was a and hat stand. He was a hat stand. And that's going to make this really hard because now is the time yes. when I ask you, are you ready to rate him? Oh, God. I suppose I have to be. This is going to be tough. The first category is conquistadores. Uh, I'm not aware of, I don't, I'm looking at my notes. I didn't see anything. There's no indication that he fought any battles. There were no uprisings. Was Um, he ever, yeah. uh -uh. I don't think he was, I don't think he'd ever picked up a sword, to be honest. Right, and and there's no indication he did. Went to the 13th council to ask other people to protect his family. Yes. I'm very unimpressed. I don't I mean, think we could give him I, any. I would not. No, I don't think we can give him any. I think it's a zero. It has um, to be. I yeah, have well, literally no indication that he fought at all in any way. Right. I mean, here's the thing. If, if we go back to Tolga, 
Mm-hmm. And he got a zero as well. Tolga got a zero because Tolga was a baby. Yes. <laughs> he, he's not old. I mean, that's fine. You know, Irving is a grown ass man. Right. He didn't he, even fight against, right. you know, he the didn't even fight against from- the Basques. He didn't even well. fight against the Basques. We have a king of Spain who didn't even fight against the Basques. Well, that and he didn't even be. fight against the other, the, the people controlling him behind the scenes. He never right. attempted to take any independent yeah. action whatsoever. You are right. I mean, right. He is just a finger puppet. No, zero. Zero, zero and if possible, negative points. But I yep. don't want to do that. So we'll, we'll just give him zero. <laughs> so that is a zero for Conquistadores. The next category is No Me Digas. Uh, so the Chronicle yeah. of Alfonso III calls him pious and moderate. Oh, gross. The Chronicle of 754 says absolutely nothing about his character. Does it also say that he has a nice smile and a good sense of humor? Well, Ejiga, right. later on in life, the next king, he says that mm. Ervig was cruel and violent, but oh, he's, not, okay. he's not really the most reliable source. I was going to say, Ejiga is, you got an angle on this one. He definitely has um, an angle. Given how Ervig came to the throne... I'm going to suggest that maybe Echita has a point that there mm-hmm. might be. I think the, sh- I think the, mo- the, the biggest Nomadigas is how Ervig got the throne. Yes, um, that's definitely something. I mean, they had the entire 12th Council of Toledo right. just to set it down so that nobody would be confused about right. what actually happened, according to these people who didn't right. let anybody else ask any questions about it. Exactly. And it has about as much credibility as, oh, the Warren Commission. Uh, I think right. the biggest thing we do have to talk about is the anti-Jewish laws that got put in. Now, right. uh, like I mentioned in a previous episode, so at many. this point, there technically shouldn't be any Jews in Spain. No. A lot of these laws are focused on practices and behavior rather than just statements. Right. No, we, yeah, I have that down here. It's like you can't be Jewish, and but you also can't do Jewish. Right. Um, So so there are laws that mandate baptism. Baptism is obligatory. Okay. Circumcision is forbidden. Okay. Celebrating Jewish holidays is forbidden, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Oh, okay. (laughs) It's also very clear from these laws that Mm -hmm. despite what previous kings have said, and despite all the previous anti-Jewish laws, there are clearly still a lot of Jews in Spain. Now, oh God, of- yes, you right. You don't you don't pass laws guiding the conduct of people driving, you know, speedboats if there aren't speedboats. Right, and now some of these are, for example, traveling merchants, right, mm-hmm. who entered the borders of Spain to do business. Oh God! But clearly, okay. some of these are Spanish part of the Spanish population, because not only are these new laws there, Ervig also thought it necessary to revise all the laws on Jews holding Christian slaves and blah, blah, uh, blah. But technically, there shouldn't be any Jews in Spain at all. Right, exactly. This this very much falls into the category of we're legislating for non-existent people. Are we next going to start requiring ghosts to follow a dress code? Right. I mean, this is insane. Yeah. So clearly um, there were, in point of fact, Jewish people in And practicing Spain. Jewish people as well. And, and practicing, which is baffling just in the sense of i would love to know and of course i'm sure the historical record does not reflect this but i would love to know how 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 they lived in their communities to what extent 
was their presence in these communities something that the communities encouraged or unfortunately discouraged? That would be very interesting to know. I'm not quite sure. No, no, I, 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 get, I, 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 doubt, the, I doubt many people wrote this down. I get the sense that they were very insular communities, mm, right? They mm-hmm. kept to themselves. Yeah, sure. They, they didn't associate very much with the wider right. world. Right. There's also a lot of language in the councils of Toledo, purportedly from Arabic himself, calling Jews a plague on Spain and terrible right. things like that. Uh, purportedly, but uh, every phrase in the speech starts with Julian says. <laughs> yeah, Julian chaired both the 12th and the 13th. Oh and, my God. He's right. And the 14th councils of Toledo. Cone. There was oh a 14th God, council of Toledo, but that was mostly. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, that was mostly uh, church stuff. Actually, it's kind of funny. The 14th Council of Toledo was prompted by a letter from the Pope. He wrote to the bishops in Spain and he said, look, Mm -hmm. we've just had a council over here in Nicaea. We've got some new tenets of belief. We want you to look them over and agree to them. Oh, okay. So we've we've expanded the Nicene Creed. This is for anybody who knows a lot about like church history, this is what's known as the Quinisext Council, which okay is a great name. Are we it stepping basically, on Pontifacts territory? We, yeah, uh, I actually heard about it in Totalis Rankium because it happened over oh, okay. in the Byzantine All right. Empire. All right. Anyway, Julian also chaired that council and he wrote the response to the Pope, basically just oh, writing okay. out, you know, just a detailed essay about these new beliefs. And he sent it back to the Pope and the Pope got super concerned. Like he, re- he read it yeah. and he was like, this is not good theology at all. Right. Oh Ooh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I had a little holy water in my hands. And when I touched Julian's letter, it started to smoke. I worry about this guy. Okay. The other thing is that Julian had these new anti-Jewish laws ready to go for the 12th council. Oh, the gross. one that happened the same immediately. year that Eric was, was oh, immediately been planning for years. He had been planning for years. Yeah. Oh, he's a bad person. He's a bad person. <laughs> Which uh, just goes to show if someone's gay, let them be gay. Otherwise, you're producing a supervillain. Just yes. Just, I've, you know. I was just gonna say this is like the beginning of you know, like a Joker movie or yes, exactly. Or, you know, uh, just a Marvel villain movie. Yeah, basically, if I can't have cake, nobody's having cake. Exactly. Um, this is basically the the, the the emotional logic here. Okay, all right. So what do we want to give him for No Me Digas? This is tough because the king himself doesn't necessarily have to do scandalous things directly because I would argue that the king always creates his own court, that there is always a culture that is created by the king and people who are brought in. Mm -hmm. And Um, if he didn't want it to be that way, it wouldn't be that way because he's the king. It wouldn't be that way. Exactly. So if we think about the culture that creates Julian is rubber stamped mm-hmm. by Arabic. And I think for that reason, there's a lot of 
there's an argument to be made for giving him a pretty good score. Yeah, um, I agree. Julian's so evil. He's so bad. Um, he's so bad. But it's worth pointing out when you look at his childhood, he's like Shakespearean evil where, yeah, he's horrible, but his backstory is so twisted and so sad yes. and so sad. You need to be played by somebody really good. You need to be played by like Timothy Chalamet. I will give him a six. Um, okay. That's that's yeah no well because also the anti-Semitic clause um, so I'm always going to boost it up but really it's it's a six on loan from Julian um, yeah those six points are Julian's those they're, they're Julian's points but we can't give them to Julian so I'm going to make sure they don't go to waste right um, I'm going to give them a five and again okay. those right. five points are really Julian's they're Julian's absolutely mm-hmm. sure so that is an eleven for Noivigas. Yeah, there's kind of a, all right, no, George W. Bush versus Dick Cheney. Well, Dick Cheney is infinitely more interesting, but he wasn't president, technically. So, technically. Yeah. All right. There. All right. The next category is orthodoxia. How religious okay. was he? Doesn't seem to have been very religious. Not personally, but he right. did whatever the church wanted. Right. I was going to say, on the other hand, he himself was not the most important person there. And the church got a lot of stuff done as a result. I have it written down as the Spanish pronunciation metropolitan. uh, Yeah, metropolitan or metropolitano. Metropolitano. Yeah, Yeah, when that's your your puppet master, you're literally, your kingship is determined by church priorities. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, mind you, they're the church priorities of the Lord of the Rings, but they are, and yet, but he didn't build anything. He didn't build There's any no churches attributed to his name. There's no mm-hmm. offerings like the votive crowns we've seen before. Right. There's no right. then, poems, nothing. Right. You know, when we look at like, for example, the Nicene councils and how they're constantly cranking out important religious work, the Twelfth, the councils of Toledo under yeah. Ervig don't appear to be particularly religious. Again, this is going to fall into the category of I'm going to give him a five, but those are Julian's points because he never did anything other than what the church wanted, which kind of is the definition of orthodoxy. That is true, but I kind but of at the same for a time, little more spirit. Yeah, but he but he clearly did it because he didn't care. Um, right, he just wanted to be king, and right, he wanted to be it. safe as king, and that is it. Right, Julian gotta, you know, I, I feel this is this is satisfying me as a way of giving Julian points. So I will, I will say five. I will also give him a five. So that is a ten okay. for orthodoxia. Mm. Our final category is el resto. This is where we talk about right physical culture. We talk about texts that were left behind by him. We talk mm-hmm. about the length of his rule, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're going to start with the statue. Holy hell. <laughs> no, no. He oh, looks like he's in no. an anime. No, yes. Like, look does. at his face. Basically, he looks like he's in an anime version of something like the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's not that. That is just, his neck is just <laughs> so long. Beyond absurd. Where his parents, you know, one of his parents was a giraffe. That's just ridiculous. And his his right hand is 
clutched a fist in front of him, holding. Right. He looks very dignified. I will give credit to the statue carver that they clearly have. Uh, whoever made that statue was clearly a leg man. The legs mm-hmm. are genuinely dishy. I will say those are good pair of legs. They're sort of comically swole. But, everything but, about this is comic. But but everything else about it is comic. The, As you might be t- able the, to tell by the yeah. light, this right. is one of the statues that is on the roof over the front door of the royal palace. I see. I and see. I don't think it's because Ervig is important enough for that. No. I think it's because the statue is so great. And, I, okay, here's the thing. If you wanted that statue to look okay, you would have to look at it from, from the bottom of the statue. If your head was at his feet and you were looking up, you wouldn't notice that his neck is ridiculous. So perspectively, that clearly has to be looked at from a very low point. Yes, and um, it is, because it's up on the roof. That having been said, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's genuinely awful. I um, mean, just look at that face. I mean, oh my God. Yes. Here's the portrait that's in the prop. Okay. <laughs> All right. Nice All crown. Right. Nice crown. I give the artist credit. He's tried to do something distinctive with the eyes. There's sort of a almost a protuberance there. This one is, as I look at it, this one is growing on me. It, the he, clothes he looks... are very nicely painted. Yes. Like there's yes. a red like sash. Yes. And then underneath is kind of this gold orange tunic, mm-hmm. which ends above mm-hmm. his knees and he's wearing right. patterned hose, it looks like. Yes. yes. And then he has these red, I mean, I think of them as socks. But right. I'm sure they're meant to be shoes. Right. And it's yes. all they're very, very, yeah. very well detailed. Yes, it's a it's a very well painted painting. I like the fact that he is wearing a sword, but the sword is completely tucked behind him and yeah. hidden. And clearly, if, if that hilt is anything to go by, it's a ceremonial sword. It will never be drawn. He will nope. never use it. That looks about right. And He's very delicate. Yeah, he's got There's... one foot up on the step, like, yes. oh, look at me. Oh, yes. But his, the position of his hands are very softly posed. They're both yes. very sort of relaxed. He's not he at all like, like that clenched fist of the uh, statue. No, no, no. This is this is a guy who I believed got to the throne through uh, essentially a half-assed poisoning attempt and then just... He looks like he will go running to Julian at the sight of any adversity. It's a very good painting of a weak king. Yes, um, it is. I yeah, I mean, I really like this one. I think this mm-hmm. is one of. I think this is definitely one of the wins yep. uh, of the portraits. And then the last thing I have is a coin, which. Oh, uh, wow! Uh, got ears. I mean, uh, yes, and impressively so. And there's some kind of wedge on the top of, on the his, top head. of his head maybe a That's, crown it's supposed to be a crown it's not if no, it's supposed it, to be whole, it's not the whole thing looks like a pie tin to be quite yeah, honest it does. It, it's very yeah, circular exactly. it, it looks like all right boys and girls in kindergarten get out your pie tins we're going to draw faces i mean that's really what you what you come up with basically there is very much a mr potato head and once again we're missing an eye yeah, uh, it was there. You can kind of see where it was. Yeah, you can see that it was there, clearly. And rubbed off. Um, yeah, pretty bad. The back, yeah, no, it's terrible. Terrible coin. Yep. Uh, apart from that physical culture, he ruled for mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. over six years, from 680 to okay. 687. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he had one daughter, Sihilio, right. who married Sihilio, right. and Ahima yes. is going to be our next king. That's right. His daughter sat on the throne, so that's that's a bit of an accomplishment. It's a good but he painting. didn't really leave us any. I mean, he updated the laws, but that right, was really like right. grammar editing bits. Finally, somebody has invented the semicolon. Uh, yeah, Isidore sure didn't get around to it. Right, exactly. Nice painting. I enjoy the painting. The statue is delightfully bonkers i will give him what we might call sometimes you give points the way you give points to like a john waters movie not because a conventionally good choice has been made but because the bad choice is so much better than any good choice could have been he just didn't do very much besides but i will give him a four yeah i was thinking a four as well there's nothing Mm -hmm. that he's really left posterity no no he didn't rule for that long and yeah his death was pretty boring so yeah he didn't even die you know in a villa that he'd confiscated from church exactly uh, quite the contrary i imagine he didn't get to live in those villas because julian had taken them i'm sure that's true uh so that's an eight for el resto and that means his score is 29 hmm not Not, bad not but it is worth pointing out that that is not his score no Uh, that's a good chunk of that is julian's score yeah, that is Julian's score for sure. And and again, if Julian, oh, imagine if Julian had actually been able to become king. Oh, that gosh. would be a story to rival that of Chindaswinth. Seriously. Um, that would have been, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, well, we have one more question um, to ask right. now that we have a final score for him. Right. Fuero or fuera? Do we let him sign the charter fuera. or do we tell him? Get, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, did, I can't even get through the yeah, whole thing. No, no this is no. Denise. It's no, 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 absolutely not. You can't give Fuero to a puppet. No, exactly. I mean, if it had been Julian, yeah, I probably would let Julian sign the charter and then, you know, burn the charter afterwards because Julian was horrible. Yeah. But Julian, yes, Julian, look where Julian came from and look at where he ended up. There is, there is nothing but impressive there, but no, Erbeg, Erbeg is just utterly, utterly dismissible. Yep, get out. Get so, yep, out. Get out. Fuera. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us what you think of Ervig or Julian by contacting us. We are on Facebook and Twitter. And also we have a Gmail mm-hmm. account. This is all Spanish mm-hmm. Arpada. And we love yes. to hear your reactions. We had quite an interesting <laughs> discussion going on with Resiswinth and uh, whether yes. he actually deserved the Fuero or not. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, right. this is happening on Twitter, whether whether he really coasted after his father did basically all oh, the hard right. stuff. Oh, right. Right, right. Well, his father did do all the hard stuff. It's true. Yeah, yeah. so it is recommendations time, and right. I will go first this time. Okay. I have a recommendation. I have been watching the series Our Flag Means Death on HBO. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Have you watched it? Yes. I have, I oh, have. I'm it's only on so episode three. Okay, I will say nothing. Well, yes, I've had this recommendation from several friends for a while. And I, you know, I don't have HBO. And I was like, well, I'll sign Mm. up for a free trial to see it. But then I just never did. And I put it off and I put it off. And finally, Mm -hmm. uh, when I came home from from my trip this past weekend, my friend sat me down. Mm -hmm. She's like, we're watching it. So we watched the first three episodes (laughs) and it's great it is it, delightful it it's set in the year 1717 but kind of in the way mm. that a knight's tale is set in the middle ages yes exactly 
It's, Nicely, nice, nice comparison. That's exactly yes. right. It's just delightful. Everyone's having a wonderful time. So yes. if you enjoy witty repartee and pirates and ridiculous people doing ridiculous things and also really pretty costumes. Very pretty costumes. It's gorgeous. Then, then you should watch Our Flag Means Death on HBO. Yes. That is my recommendation. I agree. I, I very much agree. All right. Well, my recommendation <clears throat> is going to be a cocktail. Um, <laughs> you told me you were going to do this. Yeah, Even I though was, it's not spring I break, you're, you're, you're fully I know, into this but, world but now. But here's, here's why. I Yesterday was Easter, and this is the cocktail that I would like to make, the official holiday drink of Easter, because Christmas has been taken. We have eggnog. Nobody is going to ever displace eggnog as right. the Christmas drink. But right, this right. is a drink that I think is is superior to eggnog in just about every way. And I like eggnog, to be clear. It is called the peanut flip. Okay. And what it is, is one of the nice things about it is it does not contain any ingredients that you don't have. If you have any kind of uh, bar, there's no special liqueur or digestif that you need. It is two ounces of scotch. Again, blended doers is fine. It doesn't, mm -hmm. don't make it a good one. One ounce of some kind of cream. I don't recommend using whole cream or even half and half. I think whole milk is really what you want to use here because anything more than that will turn this into something a little too heavy. I, so basically two ounces of scotch, one ounce of whole milk, a somewhere between a half and a uh, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup, which is just sugar water. And then, and here's where things get interesting. You must include a tablespoon of peanut butter. Obviously it should be smooth or creamy peanut butter. Do not right. use Chunky, chunky probably kind. wouldn't mix in too good. It, it would not. And here's the trick because people that I've recommended this to have said that it doesn't blend. And I said, did you get your peanut butter from the refrigerator? And they said, yes. And I said, do not do that. No. You must leave the peanut butter out overnight. It must be room temperature peanut butter, which is fine. You know, okay. if you go through peanut, if you go through peanut butter quickly, you don't need to refrigerate it. So, so to review two ounces of scotch, one ounce of whole milk, three quarters of an ounce, simple syrup, one table, tablespoon, heaping tablespoon of peanut butter and one egg. You will put all of that into a cocktail shaker, no ice yet, just, and you're going to shake it really decidedly for at least 20 seconds up to 30 seconds. You want You'd to have emulsify. to with all that peanut butter. Yeah. You want to emulsify the hell out of it, but the peanut butter, because of the alcohol and because of the cream, the peanut butter will dissolve okay. uh, along with the, along with the egg, then open it up and fill it with ice and reshake it. You are in point of fact, going to want it to be quite cold. Mm -hmm. Then you will pour it that concoction into a coupe glass and you will grate a little nutmeg on top of it. And it is absolutely delicious. Uh, the scotch gives a nice depth of flavor to it. The peanut butter is really the primary flavor. So unlike eggnog, which is just a sweet, you know, drink on the palate. This mm -hmm. is sweet and salty and it is, it is just the best. Um, so I, I, I cannot recommend uh, the peanut flip highly enough, as, especially if, if it, and 
I say it's good for holidays. And if you're halfway through the Christmas season and you're so sick of eggnog, but you want to be, you don't want to, you know, be a party pooper, make a batch of these and you will see that the room lights up as the sips go around. Okay. Um, so I, I highly recommend the peanut flip as a cocktail. Awesome. So, there you go. Okie doke. Well, next time right. we get together, we are going to be talking about Ejica, the possible yes. nephew of Wamba and the husband of the previous king's daughter. Yes. So. Neither of whose names I can spell. This is going to be great. Yes. All right. So we will see you next time. Goodbye. All right. We will see you. Bye. Bye.